0: Hello and welcome to New Work in Intellectual History on intellectualhistory.net. My name is Alexandra Ortolia baird and I'm a researcher at the British Museum and a sessional at UCL's Department of Information Studies. I'm delighted to be joined today by Eri Nokola, university researcher from the Department of Philosophy, History and Art Studies at the University of Helsinki, who, along with Nicholas B. Miller from the University of Lisbon Institute of Social Sciences, is an editor and contributor to the 2019 Routledge volume, Cameralism and the Enlightenment, Happiness, Governance and Reform in Transnational Perspective. Welcome, Eri, and thanks so much for talking with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I thought we could start like um, all of these interviews do um, in asking you a little bit about your motivations um, for producing this volume and how the book and the kind of the, the, the arguments of development fit um, within what you've worked on before in your previous work.
1: And this could be a very long answer because I've been interested <laughs> well, in camera- you're very welcome. <laughs> interested in Cameralism and enlightenment for more than 20 years now, actually. My interest in cameralism started already in the 1990s as a as a graduate student, and, and continued as a as a postgrad at the University of Juvaskula in Finland. However, for this book, um, more significant, even more significant, is, is my stay in Florence at the European University Institute, where Martin van Helderen supervised my thesis on Johann Heinrich Gottlob von Justi. Who is the, who, or who was the leading so-called cameralist, uh, main representative representative of cameral sciences and 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 main figure for any considerations on cameralism, and so in in Florence I wrote a thesis on Johann Heinrich Gottlob von Justi on his political thought and international political thought, and while I was doing that research I came to the conclusion that if Cameralism and Cameral Sciences, the the practice and and, uh, discourse of statecraft in the 17th and 18th century is understood as it's now quite often done in the secondary literature. There is no other way than to come to the conclusion that the main representative of of it is not a Cameralist himself. This is because I I don't think that Justy is uh, predominantly um, representative of landlocked mercantilism, as is often claimed about Cameralism, and he's not uh, and this is to say he's not building on the at that time dominant political philosophy in the German lands of uh, Christian Wolf. So many of these aspects that have have been emphasized in, the, in research I found problematic and and then I, 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 I applied for a funding for a postdoc to continue working on Cameralism and I was lucky to get and the site for that research was, was great because it was a Lichtenberg colleague, the Göttingen Institute for Advanced Study in Göttingen. This is of course great for anyone studying enlightenment because gottingen wasn't only a major center of the enlightenment especially in the second half of the 18th century, but it, it is still today a major place for anyone studying Enlightenment. And there in Göttingen, I was happy to meet colleagues who share my interest in uh, German Enlightenment and especially in the transnational and global aspects of, of Enlightenment. And they also shared my interest in Cameralism. I'm now talking about my co-editor, Nicholas B. Miller, who has worked on a populationism, family um, in, in, in Scotland, and then also in Germany? He has had comparative perspectives on those. And then uh, Dominic Hüniger was there, who's a cultural historian, cultural historian of science, and he's also working on, on, a list, uh, on a camera list called Fabricius. So I was very happy to find this um, scientific community in, in Göttingen and with, with these scholars and other colleagues we were reflecting a lot on the state of research on German, Euro- European and global enlightenment and came to the conclusion that uh, we, we want to make something together and uh, this volume is a result of, of uh, the meetings we organized and uh, the network we, we created.
0: Thanks for clarifying that. That's, um, so the, the, the book is, is quite, a, quite a wide scope um, and um, you break it into to several sections. So I was wondering if you could give us um, a general outline of, of how it's structured and, and why perhaps you've, um, you've structured it in that way?
1: So the book has three sections. The first, um, in addition to introduction, where we explain our methodology and how, how, wh- how what is the relationship between Cameralism and, and Enlightenment. The, then the book continues with, with three sections, which are the first one is on interactions, And this is because we want to emphasize that Cameralism and Cameral Sciences, they were not um, a kind of um, coherent doctrine of, of um, state-centered political economy, not in the sense that it would have never changed. It was something that uh, was continu- continually, continuously contested and the, the con- concepts that they they used were um, under change. And it's called Interactions because in this part uh, the book discusses especially the Exciting relationship between natural law and cameralism. It's a bit—it's a bit similar to to those discussions that we often find in books on uh, natural law and and political economy. How the natural law kind of gives the foundation, the comprehension, the the notions of man. Uh, were uh, they they work as uh, foundations for for political economy? And in this case, we show show how is the case how how natural law and cameral sciences were entangled in, in in the 18th century. So we have a chapter on uh, happiness and welfare and then another one that discusses um, discusses the private interests and um, common good, what is the relationship between private and and um, common interests in in cameral sciences. Those chapters are by Lars Magnusson who discusses the welfare concept and then uh, Hans-Erich Bödecker who who explores the the Cameralist's views on on private and common interests. Then there are two other chapters in this interactions part. One is by me, and has, it has the bit provocative title "A Transnational German," where I analyze Johann Heinrich Gottlob von Justi's texts on international relations and international commerce in particular. and and I come to the conclusion that, unlike often claimed, Justi was not a simple defender of protectionism. Often it is claimed that Cameralists were, almost all of them were, uh, protectionists. But at least for some time, Justy entertained ideas that Prussia, in whose interest he was writing at that time, could have become a grand commercial republic with its own fleet. This fit together with Frederick II's plans. And then that part ends with the chapter by Kuhn Stapelbroek, who I believe is the first to discuss the Dutch translations of uh, uh, of the main camerists Johan Iacobsonius and also translations of uh, of the the other significant camerists, the Sonnenfels. The Dutch translations of them and the the, the political and especially international uh, context of of those. Those translations, uh, this part, these two last chapters by Kuhn and me, they are uh, I find them important because we are uh, able to show that cameraists were not only interested in, uh, in, in inner politics, but they were interested in contributing to, to much broader discussions and, and they are in- interesting from the viewpoint of international political thought so this is the first section which has to do with interactions between natural law and international politics and cameralism then we have the the second section which uh, which we call widening perspectives because in that section we are trying to open up the the research that is being done on on cameralism and there we have a, a chapter by the the second editor of the of the book Nicholas b miller and nick Nick uh, in that chapter analyzes um, Cameralist views on populationism and he is able to show that Cameralists were also comparativists which is often often not recognized then there is a chapter by the next chapter in this section is by Richard Hultzel and Richard is an environmental historian His his chapter is on environmental history of ideas, and he especially discusses the human interface, uh, human nature, uh, human interface, nature relationship in camera sciences and among the camera especially in the 18th century. So there, the the camera are quite original views on the human nature interface. Uh, It might not be known to many listeners that actually the first ones to uh, write more extensively or the first ones to use the concept of sustainability where the camera they talk about nachhaltend, so so nachhaltigkeit is is a concept that they use. So they are quite fascinating in this respect as well. And then the third section of the book where we want to show how these um, ideas of the camera who which were not any necessarily any coherent uh, economic doct- doctrines how they were disseminated uh, and how uh, how was their local mediation in various contexts uh, this section is uh, it's it's quite a- agent um, focused so we show how not only the ideas but people travel the studies are on on Lombardy, where you, you Alexandra have written on, on Cesare Beccaria, and this is a particularly interesting case because Cesare Beccaria had a chair in Ciense Camerali, so when we are extending our interest on Cameral Sciences beyond the Germanic lands, the, 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 the Italian, the Lombardian case is particularly interesting. Then there is a chapter by 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 Adriana Luna Fabricius, who elaborates on the Spanish context and the Bourbon reforms, especially on the translations of books that were on so called police sciences. Uh, Nicola uh, Danila Raskov has a chapter on the the Russian dissemination of camera list books. Um, These are Mainly related to to Catherine the reforms in Russia, and then Alexander Mendes Cunha elaborates on the the Portuguese reception and and takes the interesting case of um, of um, Sousa Coutinho in, in 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 Portugal, and he's able to show that unlike unlike often Sousa Coutinho shouldn't be only only um, diplomat Rodrigo de Sousa Coutinho shouldn't only be interpreted in relationship to Adam Schmidt, but he also had gained knowledge of cameral sciences um, to a to, to certain extent mediated by his experiences in Italy. Another case of mediation is, is Königsberg and how Kant uh, response to the challenge of camera lists let's say so so this is the third section of the book I think I mentioned the chapters in wrong order but that shouldn't matter that much I believe and then there is uh, the the book ends with two two chapters um, the, the first one is by key tribe who reflects on 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 the significance of this uh, volume for the study of Cameralism. And then we have a final, final um, chapter or actually an epilogue by Anthony Ceyla-Vopa, who reflects on, on, on the stakes of this volume for the broader framework of, um, of um, intellectual he- history and uh, enlightenment studies in general. So this is how we try to, this is how we bring the the studies on cameralism and the enlightenment studies together and show how cameralism and enlightenment interact. Um, act.
0: Thanks, Sarah. I think you've you've made a really um, you painted a really wonderful picture of the kind of depth and breadth of the of the volume. And just picking up on that point that you make about the connections between cameralism and enlightenment, as is you know in the title of the volume. Could you give us a sense of, of what you feel kind of with this depth and breadth of the volume um, are the main arguments that it's presenting? Um, perhaps coming back to this point about Cameralism and Enlightenment?
1: Sure, sure. Um, well, this book argues that Cameralism and Cameral Sciences, they were European and even, even a global phenomenon. And they had significance for the Enlightenment thought in general. I think I would compare it a bit to to much of the recent study on on political economy, where where the claim is that political economy is the the, the major contribution of of um, European Enlightenment to the Western thought. And often, when this is being discussed, the focus is on uh, on uh, let's say Anglo-Saxon and and French political economy. And with this volume, we try to decentralize 18th century political economy and show that also these cameral sciences in their more academic form and with the changes that, they, that takes place in the cameral sciences, play a role, a significant role in the Enlightenment, in the, in the practice of statecraft, in the Enlightenment reforms and And well, we don't want to emphasize uh, the divide between practice and theory. They, they they go hand in hand. But we want to show that that cameraal sciences played a role here, but we are not arguing that political economy and cameral sciences would be totally separated for, from each other because the, the case is that cameraists such as Eu were really, very well read in in, uh, in text of foreign authors of, of, of text on political economy so that the, the relationship is reciprocal indeed so i hope that helps a bit to understand the the focus and aims aims of the volume and the, the purpose of those three sections
0: Absolutely. Well, so then circling back a little bit to, to kind of the research process and, um, and I guess how we, we, we kind of came to these conclusions. Um, is there anything that you found particularly interesting or surprising that you'd like to share with um, listeners when you were either conducting your own research for, for your chapter or, or when you started really putting the chapters together? So this kind of synthesis um, and, and whether that revealed something that was that was really new to you or kind of took you by surprise?
1: No but, uh, well well, the, the original discovery when, when I discovered that usedT doesn't fit at, with, at all to the category as, as realism is often defined that that was quite, quite a surprise for me and, and, and helped me to see things differently. Then I need to emphasize that the volume looks quite different from the original drafts of, for the book that we had when we started in. Uh, 2015 and 2016. And this, I think, is due to, the, due to the fact that we wanted to make a, or we realized that we are now, we are not only dealing with a small question within cameralism or cameralism studies, but we wanted to contribute to, to the enlightenment studies um, in, in a more, more broader way. So so we recognize, recognize the stakes of reinterpreting interpreting cameralism for the broader intellectual history of the Enlightenment. I, I would say it like that. So this, this was something that, that was a big part of the, the process. Um, but, but what is exciting at the moment and, and very interesting that when you look at the field of Enlightenment studies, and when you look at the field of studies on cameralism both are in a very exciting phase because uh, there are plenty of disagreements on very foundational questions already in the the meaning of the concepts and this i find fascinating because i think it can be a very productive stage when there is very little agreement on whether cameralism was so significant whether it was broadly european Because I think something, something um, interesting can come come out of this. Um, So those were. I I was quite, and and what is it's quite striking is not only that there are all these disagreements, but there's so much new research coming coming in um, both on enlightenment and Cameralism that it's it's a see it as a great opportunity to to reflect on them.
0: So you've, you've somewhat anticipated what I was going to to ask you next, um, but perhaps you could expand upon it um, a, a little bit. So th- I wanted to ask, you know, how you see um, the contribution of of the volume to to I guess you know not only Cameralism studies, but you know to to, to enlightenment studies more generally, or does it even go beyond that? You know, what is what are the potential um, repercussions for for research from the from the volume?
1: Um, uh, I, I think definitely. Um, I already alluded to this that um, to the role of political economy as as one of the the main manifestations of enlightenment and how cameralism should be part of of uh, interpreting or seeing that that proje- project uh, when we are thinking about uh, political economy as a significant contribution of of, of enlightenment to the western political thought. so we should study more carefully the interaction of of um, camera sciences and and other discourses such as natural law and um, and um, scottish political economy and physiocracy and and so on and i think why i think this volume is is also important is that i hope it uh, encourages research on the relationship between the so-called Enlighteners and the, the, the impact they had on statecraft. Because if you think about uh, Enlightenment thinkers, the, the Cameralists were uh, kind of a rare bunch because they, they had access to the power and they were in interaction with the statecraft. Um, I think what I've been lately uh, thinking about and I find highly interesting is the case of Struenser in Denmark, uh, this um, German doctor, who became the de facto ruler in in Germany, and in Denmark, uh, in the late 60s, and then he was in power from 1770 to 1772. There we have a figure who was uh, an enlightened thinker. He knew Spinoza very well, and he was fascinated by him. He uh, read the French materialists, but it's a lot less known that he was well, worst, he knew the well, worst with the camera list. He knew the camera list literature. So, if you look at the hundreds of reforms he made, um, of course, there are such reforms as abolishing the torture and so on. So, I, I assume that it's rather inspired by Beccaria and, and, and similar thinkers. But then, many of the reforms that, they, that he did were inspired by camera sciences and camera literature so, so I hope that in future there will be more studies on on the relationship of uh, cameraism and enlightened reforms in a more comprehensive way, let's say so, and we do have many of these in this volume.
0: Thanks Eric. Yeah. Yeah no so so then kind of narrowing that that a little bit um, so you know w- what do you think um, those who are reading so I'm thinking especially you know so you've got researchers but also students might well be um, be reading this kind of type of volume what do you think that they're going to be taking away from them from this that's that's significant to them um, so not so much changing the field but you know what are those takeaway points that um, that the reader of something who's perhaps not very, um, you know, doesn't know Cameralism particularly well or hasn't read much about it, what do you think that they'll they'll be taking away from the volume?
1: No, I, I think it could be very interesting for for students and other readers what comes to the methodology methodology of the book. It's it's inspired a lot by the most recent developments in the in the German. German scholarship by scholars such as uh, Martin Giel and uh, Hans Erich Berleke. So, how to study intellectual history as a kind of uh, as 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 kind of um, social or cultural history of ideas. So, for students of intellectual history, this could be a way of uh, widening the perspectives in what comes to methodolo- methodology and coming familiar with uh, with most recent approaches that are quite well represented in in Germany at the moment and uh, then i think there are many concepts that are interesting to 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 broader audience such as welfare that the idea if that uh, that um, the welfare state for instance could have its origins in these um, 18th-century discussions on common good by the Cameralists, for instance. Um, I also think that the book is of interest for anyone interested in the intellectual history in terms of history of political or economic thought. And, and I think it's interesting also for historians of science, because it deals with also with the disciplinization of, of Cameral Sciences um, and and the change of the discourse. There a fascinating paradox seems to be, be that um, in an era in which the pursuit was to create a university, give a university discipline based on political economy, um, they created the push for disciplination. was, the more divergent political economy became, uh, I think. And the volume is uh, interesting also for anyone who wants to take a look on the dissemination of, of ideas via network, dissemination of, of, of knowledge, knowledge how, how, how ideas change when they are taken from one context to another. So that would be my answer to that question.
0: Thanks, know that's um, well, I mean intellectual historians are no strangers to paradoxes, so <laughs> I'm sure that will resonate with many um, many listeners. So before we finish, um, and you know, we're taking up so much of your time already, but could you just give us a glimpse into what you're currently working on and and perhaps where you see um, this this research on on cameraism going um, in the in the future?
1: At the moment, I'm, I'm working in a project together with Kariz Astamon and Adriana Luna Fabritius that focuses on uh, camera sciences as a European political science. So the focus is on the political aspects of of, of cameral sciences, um, and this is to this is a reaction to the views that uh, cameral sciences would have been only propaganda of the princely chamber, or they would have been a an escape from administration to politics, as it is often claimed. If you look at the Cameralist literature, there are basically three types of books in the 18th century when Cameral Sciences become academic. So there are books that are on, um, on what would be called nowadays natural science. You have books on forestry and you have books on mining and so on. Then you have the books on, uh, on policy. Which would be could be anachronistically and bit wrongly called um, administration. Actually, it meant that how to organize the state uh, um, in in terms of producing happiness, how to how to exploit and and uh, enhance the resources of the state. Most of the books on I had to do with um, uh, economic economic uh, policy. Although social policy, of course, played a big role there as well. And then you have this third um, group of books that the Cameralists write. And I think not, not at all enough attention has been paid to these books. They are the books on um, political theory, books such as um, uh, Nature, Nature and Essence of State by von Justy or or books on uh, universal Cameralism by authors such as Pfeiffer. So my focus is now to study these books by Cameralists on uh, political theory. And uh, my hypothesis is is that they they are much more political and they, they advocate contingency than has been often earlier assumed, and, and, and I'm doing a comparative study because I'm not only interested in these German writers, but I'm also interested in the Swedish writers, um, such as Anders Berg, who, who published on Cameral Sciences. Anders Berg had the first chair in, in Uppsala already in the 1740s. And the Swedish case is particularly interesting. I know that there are scholars working on doing great research on, uh, on Swedish Cameralism such as Lars Magnusson and Carl Venelin. but my focus differs a bit from theirs because my, my focus is on, on the relationship uh, between camera science, science and the politics and political theory of, of that time. The, the Swedish case is of great interest because In Sweden, the case can definitely be that the camera sciences would have been princely propaganda because Sweden at that time had a particular regime, it was ruled by the estates. And for instance, this uh, Anders Berg was um, very enthusiastic supporter of the so-called hat party. So, in the Swedish case, my aim is to look at what is then the relationship between these camera lists and Cameral Sciences and the, the politics of the country. So that is my part of the, the project that I'm, or my 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 project of this uh, more wider project that we are doing together with Adriana Luna Fabrizzius and Caris Saastamo.
0: Well, on that um, very promising note, I'm very excited to read um, what's coming out of that project. Um, I wanted to thank you again, Ere, for taking the time to speak with us today and explaining um, all about Cameralism and the Enlightenment, happiness, governance and reform in transnational perspective. So thank you again, Ere.
1: Thanks to you. It was a great pleasure.